Amen. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. I'm also going to make reference to uh, Hebrews 12, so we're going to read both of those passages together this morning. So hear the word of the Lord. Exodus 19, beginning at verse 16, as we continue in our series in Exodus free at last. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out to the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up, the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai. To the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses, called, called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Let set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words make, made the heavens beg that no further messages be spoke, spoken to them, that made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven." At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that, are, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Father, we praise you now, give you glory and honor, and ask that you, by the power of your Spirit, as all of us sit under the authority of your Word, we pray that you would teach us, Lord. We pray that you would do that work in us to renew us, to transform us, and shape us, conform us, 
and to the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, we read this, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers manners, that is, different manners, to reveal himself. The confession then goes on to speak to the record of that revelation being written down in the Holy Scriptures and the necessity of that Scripture to our understanding of God's will for us. In keeping with this truth, I want to remind us that the unfolding of God's covenants with His people, the unfolding of God's covenant with His people are also the unfolding of God's revelation of Himself to us. In covenant, God shows us who He is. And it is this revelation of Himself that is the ground to His call to us to obedience. We all know God's will because He reveals Himself and reveals His will to us. Thus, what is happening in the text before us in Exodus 19 is God's continued grace, His kindness and love in revealing Himself to His people and, 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 and through them to the world. While the covenant at Sinai isn't the conclusion of God's revelation of Himself, it is a continued demonstration of God's commitment to do so. The conclusion of that revelation is Jesus, a point the writer of Hebrews makes here uh, in the text in Hebrews 12, in which he made more pointedly in chapter 1 of his letter when he says, long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus brothers and sisters, is the fullness of God's revelation to us. And the covenant relationship we have with God through Him is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God's covenant made with His people of old. And yet God's revelation of Himself at Sinai, it rested on the same gracious commitment of God to reveal Himself and His will to His people. God wants us to know who He is. And God wants us to know His will for our lives. And the question, of course, whether we're looking back on Sinai or toward the future city of God is whether or not we will respond to God's revelation of Himself accordingly, if we will respond to God's revelation of His will accordingly, whether or not we will respond in obedient faith to God to his revealed will of himself, to his revelation of himself and his revealed will in our lives. And this is the concern in both of the stories before us. In the covenant at Sinai, it's obedience to the words of the Lord that is in view. And in the new covenant, it is also obedience to the words of the Lord. It's in view. God has made himself and his will known to us, and he calls us in that to obedience obedient faith. 
And so the question is whether we will respond with that obedient faith. This is the pastoral concern in Hebrews as the writer speaks. See that, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Amen, people of God. <laughs> so this morning, I have a question for you. What is the shape of that obedient faith that God calls us to? With Moses, it is with all of God's people. Thus, the people are called to meet with their God, to meet with the king of all the earth, to meet with the one who is calling them out of all the peoples of the earth to be his own people, to be his priestly kingdom, to be his holy nation. And as they come to meet the Lord, they, they are struck with an awesome display of the majesty and greatness of their God. The visuals, the acoustics, the sensations of the experience were all meant to impress upon the people the greatness of their God, the majesty of their God, the awesomeness of their God, a greatness that included a recognition of His holiness over against their sinfulness, which is communicated in the prohibition not to break through presumptuously to come up to the mountain to touch it. And the descending of God on the mountain in, in the way that he did it had its desired effect. For in verse 16, we read that the people, when they heard the trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. The writer of Hebrews expounding on this fear tells us in, in, in verse 20 of Hebrews 12, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if even a, blast, a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And while the reference to Moses' fear isn't clear in the text before us in Exodus 19, the writer of Hebrews, speaking centuries after the event, appears to be including Moses in that collective awe that trembled at the sight of God's presence on Sinai. Now, you may be asking, why, why, why would the people respond to God's presence with fear? Surely fear is not the right response here, right? And, and as those who are now invited into the presence of God through Christ without fear and looking back on this story, we may find that the people's response is not in keeping with what we know about God, His grace, His mercy, His love, His kindness. But I want to help all of us this morning by reminding us that the only reason we can approach God without fear is because of the blood of Jesus our Savior shed on our behalf, that is what makes it possible for us to approach the majestic, holy, awesome, righteous judge of all of the earth. It is because Jesus took on the penalty for our sin and shed His blood that we are able to freely come into the presence of this great God without fear. Instead of fear, we are invited to look forward to the joy that will be ours fully when we get to the city of God, to Mount Zion, to the New Jerusalem, a joy that has already been experienced in the here and now as the Spirit of God mediates the presence of God through Jesus Christ with all the blessings that come with it. And in the text before us in Exodus, God made provision for His people to be in His majestic presence through the consecration of them, indicating not only his desire to draw near to his people, but his commitment to make a way for them to be near him, a way that finds its fulfillment 
in the blood of Christ shed for us. And so the call this morning is to draw near to God and to keep drawing near to the King. This is what the covenant provides for us. It provides us access to the majestic King of all the earth, and you and I are able to come in that King's presence because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Amen, people of God. Amen. And so the call into covenant, to call into the presence of the King of all the earth, is a call that the King Himself makes possible through His consecration of us, His setting us apart, a holiness that finds its fulfillment in the blood of Jesus shed for us. And why does the King call us into His presence? Why, why does He call us into His presence? Why does He call us into His presence, He does so that we might be reminded of who He is and that we might be reminded of the unshakable kingdom that is ours in relationship with Him. He invites us into His presence that we might see who He is and that in seeing who He is, we might be turned away, we might be turned away from our temptation to put other gods that are not gods before Him that we are to see the majesty of our King, the greatness of our God, and be turned away from putting our hope and our trust in other kings and other gods, that we might be turned away from putting our hope in the kingdoms of this world, that we might be turned away from putting our hope in the kings of this world, and that we might instead see that the true greatness and majesty and glory and power and honor and goodness is not in those kings and those kingdoms. It's in Jesus. It's in God the Father. It's in the Holy Spirit. Amen, people of God. And so this call into His presence is meant to inspire faithfulness to the call to worship Him alone, the call that He will give to His people in the Ten Commandments in the next chapter. I want to encourage you today that Jesus, through His blood, has given you access to God. Take advantage of every opportunity you are given to draw near to God. Don't neglect the Sabbath. Don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect the Word of God. God's covenant is a call to us into His presence, which is an opportunity for us to visit with the King, to see Him for who He is, and the unshakable kingdom that is ours in Him, that we might be drawn to Him and away from the kingdoms of this world. Amen, people of God. The shape of this obedient faith, it's a call to come into the King's presence. It's a call to respect the king's boundaries. Amen, people of God. (laughs) Listen to verse 21 through 24 again. The Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves as the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, go down. Come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. God repeats for Moses a command he had given earlier in this chapter and calls Moses to remind the people again of the commandment not to come up to the mountain and and to touch it. And when the command was originally given, God uh, had yet to descend upon the mountain. Now God has descended 
And the command comes with the threat that God himself will break out upon anyone who disregards the command. And while the people in covenant with God have been given the privilege of access to God, they must never make the mistake that this access is a license to presumption. Greater access to God. Greater access to God is not an invitation to traverse the boundaries that God has set for us. Amen, people of God. God is still God, and it is His will that is still to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is still His ways that we are are to follow and not our own. It is still the good work He calls us to walk in that we must pursue. And this truth comes through with greater import because of the superiority, actually, of the new covenant over the old. So the writer of Hebrews says this to us, but you have come, verse 22, to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all the earth, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. For this reason, he says earlier, strive for peace with everyone, verse 14, and for holiness, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, and that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. And then he says later in verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refuse him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. For believers, there is no fear of condemnation in his word. However, this is a word of reminder, what the writer says earlier, again in the same chapter. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I want to remind us today that sin is destructive. I want to remind us today that sin is destructive. That when we disobey God, we do harm in our relationship with God, and we often do harm to others. This is part of what the Ten Commandments will lay out for God's people. They will lay out what we are to pursue and what we are to avoid in our relationship with God and in our relationship with others. And it's a reminder that covenant relationship with Him isn't a license to traverse the boundaries He has set for us, but a call to walk in the good that God calls us to, that we might be blessed. To walk in the good He calls us to in our relationship with Him, with others in this world. And so even in this initial encounter, God was preparing His people for the truths that He was now going to teach them in His law, which we are now, through the power of the Spirit, enabled to walk in. And here's the question for us this morning. Where are we in our pride, tempted to ignore? Where are we in our pride, tempted to ignore 
God's boundaries for our lives? Where are we tempted to sin against our God and against His will for us? The Lord was aware that some of the Israelites would be tempted to ignore His command about coming up to the mountain to touch it, which meant uh, He was also aware that they would be tempted to break the laws He was about to give them in the next chapter. Indeed, they would do so even before Moses brought the Word of God down from the mountain to present to them. And our temptation in our pride to rebel against the Lord hasn't gone away, which is why the writer of Hebrews encourages a corporate commitment to encouraging one another toward walking in the good that God calls us to. See to it that no one, that no root of bitterness springs up. See to it that no one is sexually immoral. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God. So where are we tempted toward presumption, toward that arrogant transgression of the good that God calls you to? Titus says, the grace of God has appeared And the appearance of that grace of God does what? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So whether it's in our relationship with God or in our relationship with others, the Spirit is in us to help us to walk in the good that God calls us to. Amen, people of God. Shape of our obedience is a call to come into the presence of the Lord, a call to respect the boundaries He has set for us. It's a call to submit to the authority of God. Listen again to verse 25, very short verse. So Moses went down to the people and told them. End of the verse. I don't take verses like this for granted. Perhaps it's the office that I hold and the responsibilities resident in it. Or maybe, and perhaps more likely, it's because I know my own heart and the propensity toward trusting in my own authority, my own assessment of things, my own judgment, my own decisions. Moses uh, was given the unique calling to to represent the people to God and God to the people. And he was the one to whom God spoke. He was the one to whom the people were to listen as he communicated to them the Word of God. And in this scene, he is the one to whom God is speaking directly, and the one who would be called up on the mountain to hear God's instructions before bringing Aaron and the other elders with him. Moses was given truly a unique and special calling as the mediator of the covenant at Sinai. And yet we, without a special calling, like Moses, know the temptation, don't we? to trust our own authority. Indeed, in just a short period of time, the Israelites are going to decide that Moses is taking too long on the mountain, and they're going to narrate their own story of redemption, and they're going to give credit for that redemption to a golden calf made with their own hands. It's why when I read this verse, I'm both reminded and instructed in the truth I need to remember over and over and over again. I suspect you do too. That the word that matters, 
most in my life and your life, in the life of the peoples of this world, is the Word of God. In this verse, Moses responds to God's command to warn the people about coming to the mountain. He says this in verse 23. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Now, it's possible that this is Moses' way of saying, Lord, you already told us this, and we've already set the boundaries, so they can't come up now and touch the mountain. God's response, go tell them again. And what does Moses do? He goes and tells them again. (laughs) Why? He tells them again because the well-being of God's people is in submission to his authority over their lives, to his word, to his laws. This is why the good news of the gospel of no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is followed by this phrase. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We are those who walk by the spirit, submitting ourselves to God's word to his law, to his authority, to his declaration of of what is good for us and what is good for this world. The call here, brothers and sisters, is to remember we ain't the Lord. The temptation can be to trust in our own words, to trust in our own authority, to trust in what we say and not in what the Lord says. But I say again, we ain't the Lord. Our good, the good of those around us, is bound up in people hearing what the Lord says. And we do good in working to convey to those around us that word of the Lord. That Moses did just that as an encouragement to all of us to do the same. Your children need to hear the word of the Lord. Your neighbors need to hear the word of the Lord. Your friends need to hear the word of the Lord. Your enemies need to hear the word of the Lord. Those who are straying need to hear the word of the Lord. Those who are striving for what is good need to hear the word of the Lord. The downcast need to hear the word of the Lord. The oppressed need to hear the word of the Lord. The hopeless need to hear the word of the Lord. Whatever Moses thought when he came down off that mountain, what the people heard was what the Lord wanted them to hear. This is my prayer for us, that people will see in us and hear from us what thus saith the Lord, that they might know God's good for their lives. And that's exactly what God is about to do in the next chapter. He's about to lay out for his people what is good and what is right and what is just in their relationships with him and in their relationships with others. Amen, people of God. So I say again, in covenant, God reveals himself to us. 
He shows us who he is. And in Jesus, he has shown us fully who he is. And that revelation to us, brothers and sisters, is a call to obedient faith. It's a call to draw near to the God that we might draw away from the false gods of this world. It's a call to respect the boundaries that God has set for us, that we might receive and walk in the good that he calls us to. And it's a call to submit to God's authority, knowing that it is the word of the Lord that is our hope and that is the hope of all of those around us. This is a call that only the blood of Jesus can free us toward, and it has. So I'd encourage you again to heed the words of the writer of Hebrews as I close. Verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Amen, people of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come before you, those who have our faith in Jesus Christ and who are the beneficiaries of a new covenant, Father, I pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would be at work in us. Father, that you, by the power of your Spirit, will remind us of the blessing that is ours to be called into your presence and to have the freedom to come into your presence without fear because of the blood of Jesus shed on our behalf. Father, I pray this morning that by the power of the Spirit, we would know that you have indeed called us to what is good and what is right and what is true, and that you, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, call us to walk in that, to live within the boundaries that you have set for us, for our own good and for the good of those around us. And Father, that you have called us in submission to your authority and not our own. Father, I pray, give your people power to live in these things for the glory of your name, for the glory of your name, for the growth of your kingdom in this world, I pray. And ask this in Jesus' name.